Well, amen. That's good, isn't it? Somebody got to stand it. Oh. This is really good when you get to use the Holy of Holies here. I guarantee you. Praise the Lord. Man, I'm so glad you're here today. If you would turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, this is just a, just a kind of a short sermon. It really is short. About what re- really Easter means. There's a lot of folks think Easter means marshmallow peaks and new dresses, plastic grass. To me, if my wife hasn't bought me a chocolate bunny, I'm going to be greatly disappointed. Because that's what Easter means. Well, that's one thing Easter means to me. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. God, we ask You today to speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus. Thank You already how we've been brought into Your presence with the glorious music and testimony and God, the the presence of your Holy Spirit is in this place. Lord, don't leave us. God, please don't leave us. Have freedom to do what you want to do this morning. And we'll continually praise your holy name. Because you are alive. In Jesus' name, amen. The real story of Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. And uh, we got lights off underneath here. If somebody can figure out how to... This crowd will be asleep before I get to the first point. There you go. (laughs) Hallelujah. I know that disappointed some of you, but uh, uh, we need to stay awake. The risen Savior is what separates Christianity from every other religion. There's no other religion. Even the Old Testament Judaism, they had a leader. His name was Abraham. Abraham lived. Abraham died. But Abraham has never been raised from the dead. Uh, the, the, the Buddhism has a leader named Buddha. Buddha lived, Buddha died, but Buddha has yet to be raised from the dead. And then there's Islam. They have Muhammad as their leader. Muhammad lived, Muhammad died, but he's yet to be raised from the dead. And then there's Confucianism. Confucianism. Uh, there's Confucius as the leader. He lived, he died, but he's yet to be raised from the dead. And then you could go on with other things. There's Mormonism. They've got Joseph Smith. He lived. He died. It's all verified. But he's yet to be raised from the dead. But in the Hinduism, Hinduism has no main leader, but they've got a lot of prominent leaders in there. They all have lived. They all have died. And yet not one of them has been raised from the dead. But when you come to Christianity, our leader, Jesus, he lived, he died. And he rose from the dead. And he's alive today. That's what makes Christianity different from every other religion. Now, let me just just give you three simple sermon points this morning. You can go ahead and write them down in case you need a nap. Number one, he came all the way down. Number two, he went all the way in that tomb. And number three, he came all the way up out of that tomb. Now, let me just say, he came all the way down. 
Have you ever watched that TV show, Undercover Boss? The guy with the suit and the CEO and everything, he usually has problems in his companies and somebody's stealing from him or somebody's doing something wrong or he's business his way off. So he, he sheds his suit and everything and he comes in as an entry-level employee. And he goes around to try to find out what the problem is in his company. Folk, I want to tell you, our boss came down undercover. Jesus came down. Now listen now, he didn't come down to find out what the problem was. He already knew what the problem was. And he knows what the problem is. He came down to solve the problem. That's what Jesus has done for us. He didn't come to find out what it was. His descent was deliberate. Not just anyone. The Bible says here, Christ died for our sin. There's no beginning of Jesus. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15 that Christ, Jesus, came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm a chief. He said, Jesus, in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man's come to seek and to save that which was lost. John 3.17, he's speaking to Nicodemus, and he said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. John 10.10, Jesus came, he said, I've come not only that they might have life, but that they might have abundant life. Christ existed before this world. So we're talking about the one who's age to age, who's everlasting to everlasting, who spoke this world into existence, who's flung the galaxies into space and put the stars where they belong and breathed air into man himself. He came down. He also came down as a righteous deed. He died for our sin. Romans 5 says that sin entered the world through one man. But then it was passed to every man. We inherited that sin nature. Jesus did not die for his own sin. Christ died for our sin. And uh, I, I mean, he was blameless. He was spotless. Uh, he was without sin whatsoever. Judas said it like this. He said, I betrayed innocent blood. Uh, Pilate said it like this. I find no fault in this man. Pilate's wife said it like this. Have nothing to do with this. The thief on the cross who repented looked over at the other thief and said, we belong up here, but this man has done nothing. The centurion at the cross and the tomb said, surely this was the Son of God. I tell you, I heard about that old preacher that was preaching, and he asked the question, has anybody here ever met a perfect man? Man, a dear old gentleman in the back raised his hand. He said, you've met a perfect He said, no, sir, I've never met a perfect man, but I hear a lot about him. Every day I hear about this perfect man. And the preacher said, well, who is this perfect man? He says, my wife's first husband. <laughs> I want to tell you, you've not met a perfect man, but Paul met a perfect man on the road to Damascus. Paul met Jesus, the perfect man, and it changed his life. Mom and Dad, can you imagine raising a, a boy like Jesus? I mean, I, I just know what my wife says when she gets really upset. If I've told you one time, I've told you a hundred times, that, and then she'd have to stop and say, oh, no, right, you're, you're right, son, I'm sorry. He, he, he never sinned. He never had a lustful thought. He never said a wicked word. He was blameless and spotless. I wouldn't have wanted him in my family. 
We, we three Hunt brothers had a deal <laughs> that if it was really bad, we'd just all keep our mouth shut because we knew we was all going to get a whipping. That's how it worked at my house. If somebody didn't volunteer and say, I'm the one done that, we all got a whipping. They figured that we needed it for something we'd already done anyway. But with Jesus, he's perfect. He's never done anything wrong. He was without sin. He chose to descend. It was a righteous deed, but it was a horrific death. Horrific death. Christ died. You'll never understand the life of Jesus until, first of all, you understand about the death of Jesus. It's not a peaceful death. I was at a revival Tuesday night in uh, uh, Winnie, Texas. And uh, this old boy had come out of the woods up there between Saratoga and Sillsby up there. And I knew him. And I said, Ray, how's your day today? He's got on overalls. And he said, man, it's been a rough day. I said, rough? He said, yeah, I had to visit the hospital. My uncle is dying of cancer. And I said, well, what, you know, what stage is it in? He said, I don't know nothing about stages. He said, but they took, they told me there that they sent him home with some hostages. And uh, they're going to take care of him. I thought, dear God, Ray. Huh? Some hostages. Listen, Jesus didn't die in hospice. He didn't die in a motel or a, or a hospital with some morphine and different drugs like that. Uh, he wasn't dying surrounded by family and friends. They'd all left him. Don't, listen to me this morning. Don't you think you've got an example of Jesus when you watch Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ? Because it was a lot worse than that. You, you've never seen what it was like. His suffering death. Bible says in 1 Peter 3.18, he suffered once uh, for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Philippians 2 says he humbled himself. Death of Christ is really the bottom of the barrel for Jesus. So think with me just a moment about the death you got to think, first of all, at the Garden of Gethsemane. He's kneeling there. He's praying as of sweat drops of blood. He's praying. And uh, in his humanity, see, he's all God, but he's all human also. In his humanity, he didn't want to go to the cross. I mean, who, who have you seen today that says, I'm looking forward to the day I get to go to the cross? Nobody's going to do that. In his humanity, he didn't want to go to the cross. But also in his deity, he didn't want to become sin. He had never, never sinned before. And yet he's fixing to take the whole world's sin on his shoulders. And he cried in the garden, if there any other way, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Then there was a kiss of betrayal. Wow. Judas was prophesied from the Old Testament. The Bible says in the Old Testament he was full of the devil. Yet he was a pawn in the hand of a sovereign God. And then he's still not at the bottom. There's the pain of denial. They're there that night in the upper room. And uh, Peter says, oh, Lord, I, I, you know, you pick some of these guys. They're nothing but hicks and rednecks. And I'm telling you, they may leave you, but don't, mm -mm, not me. I'm with you, Lord. And the Lord says, you don't even know what you're talking about. Before the rooster crows tonight, you're going to die me three times. Not me, Lord. 
Mm-mm. And yet that's exactly what he did. And then you've got the brutal arrest. And then you've got the mock trials. He's still not at the bottom yet. Those trials, there were three governmental trials. There were three religious trials in that short span of the night there. And not a one of them was, was, was legitimate there. They took a reed and beat him across his face. They bowed down and ridiculed him. Took a robe, put, took his robe off, put on a purple robe. Says, oh, he needs a, a, a crown. So they did a crown of thorns and pierced down on his head. They beat the Lord in the face and battered and bruised his eye sockets. His eyes were swollen from sweat, tears, and grief. And he said, if you're a prophet, tell us who just hit you. Pilate condemned him to be scourged and flogged. And Jesus was beat with a whip, a cat of nine tails. Now, a whip would be hard enough, but the cat of nine tails had nine different layers of leather that went on the edge of that whip and they would take and they would put bones sharp pieces of bones or metal or glass and they'd wrap it all in there and then a trained centurion would take and beat our lord or the criminal whoever he was history shows us that most people never made it to the cross because they died before they ever got through with the beating I mean, that centurion knows just how to use that, rip to, that, that whip to jerk that skin open time after time, jerk after jerk, until literally your organs are falling out on the ground, your bowels are falling out on the ground. And, and, but and listen, that's still not the bottom yet. He's still got a way to go down. There's insult. There's cries of ridicule. Destroy the temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Let's see you do that. He's calling on the prophet Elijah. They said, you claim you spent your life saving others. Come off of this cross and save yourself. Far worse than the emotion. Far worse than the physical death. Was the spiritual agony of Jesus on that cross. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin. He couldn't tolerate sin. He couldn't look upon sin. Yet he bore our sins in his own body. Now I'm going to tell you something here that some of you are going to say, that's crazy. I've been called crazy before. Don't you blame the Romans for killing Jesus. They didn't kill him. Don't you blame the Jews for killing Jesus. They didn't kill him. And don't even kind of puff up and say, the Lord died for me because you didn't kill him either. Listen to me. God the Father killed his own son. God the Father. Anytime he could have called 10,000 names, he didn't have to stay on that cross. This was God's plan. God the Father on that Friday afternoon, He bore all of our sin, taking Himself upon the sin that He despised by the most, but doing it for the bride that He loved the best. He had finally come all the way down when He said, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? So Christ came all the way down. Let me tell you, secondly, he went all the way in. Verse 4 says he was buried. Why was burial so important? Well, one thing, it's a sign. You don't bury people who are not dead. Not unless you're watching Murder, She Wrote or something. 
You don't bury people who are not dead. It's a sign that Jesus was dead. Now, some people believe in the swoon theory. The swoon theory is that Jesus just kind of got semi-conscious, unconscious, but they put him in the moisture and dampness of that tomb, and it kind of... Uh, uh, kind of revived him, and he got up and he pushed away a two-ton rock, and then he overcame the Roman soldiers while the disciples were figuring out all the deceptive plans. That's called the swoon theory. Now, if you think that's made up, you just go look it up. There are a lot of your people around here that, that believe that. I, I read Christianity today on occasion, but I, I always read it just like the paper. Uh, I, the first thing I read is, Dear Abby, I want to hear the gossip. Baptists love to gossip. But in Christianity Today, they, they base Dear Abby on a first century uh, guy named Eutychus. And people would write in and say, Dear Eutychus, he's the Dear Abby of the first century. And this guy wrote in and he said, Dear Eutychus, our pastor a couple of weeks ago on Easter Sunday said that he believed Jesus didn't really die. He believes in the swoon theory. He said, what, what do you think of that? And it was signed, Bewildered. And Eutychus wrote back to him. He said, Dear Bewildered, I suggest that you beat your pastor with a cat of nine tails. That you drive very large nails in his hands and his feet. That you hang him out behind the fellowship hall in the hot sun for at least six hours. And then you run a spear through his heart. You put embalming fluid in his veins. Place him in an airtight coffin for 36 hours. And see how that works for him. Folks, I want to tell you, Jesus was not semi-unconscious. He was dead. And the burial was a sign. But it was also as a sentence. The Bible said Romans, 3, uh, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. It was a, a, a sentence Ezekiel said, the soul that sins shall surely die. Jesus carried out that sentence. But not only was it a sign and a sentence, Christ was buried as a substitute. My substitute. Your substitute. He died in my place, was buried in my place. Him who knew no sin became sin. 1 Thessalonians 5, the Bible says, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Romans 5 eight, God committed His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He died in my place. He was buried in my place. You say, preacher, do you know where you're going to be buried? It depends on who dies first. If I die first, I'm going to be buried out in a beautiful place in the country. But if my wife dies first, we're going to be buried right down here to the road. I like, I like quick things, close. I don't want to drive to the country 20 minutes to, you know, to see or to talk to my dead wife. I guess, what am I trying to say? Uh, anyhow, it depends on who dies first, whether we get the luxury cemetery or whether we get the budget cemetery. Amen? That's what happens. Now, I'll tell you this, though. 
even though I can't take you exactly because I don't know who's going to die first, I can take you to a place where I've already died. Now, we'll have to drive to DFW and get on an international flight, and we'll have to go over to a city called Jerusalem, and uh, we'll have to uh, go up to a hill called Calvary, and we'll have to go to that garden tomb there because, you see, when he died on the cross, I died on the cross with him. When he was buried in the tomb, I was buried in the tomb also. And when he rose again, that was the first fruits that guaranteed me I would rise again. Physically. Jesus had came all the way down. He had gone all the way in. If our story ended there, it would be a most pitiful experience. Terrible. But it doesn't. It doesn't. Christ came all the way up. All the way up. From Pentecost to now. Honestly, guys, we, we try to make... I love what one of the little kids said. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. You see, either Jesus did die, was buried, and rose again, and is alive, or he wasn't. If he wasn't, he's the biggest fake and the biggest fraud there is. And some religions say, well, we believe he was a good teacher. How can you be a good teacher if you've lied about everything in your life? No, he came all the way up. Verses 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians 15. The Bible says, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you there's no resurrection of the dead? If there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Listen, what he's saying here is, uh, guys, y'all, y'all just wasted your time coming here this morning. You waste your time opening the Bible and read it. If Christ is not risen, you waste your time praying to God. All of that's a fraud. Every sermon ever preached. Now, I want to tell you, Paul's not just talking about one sermon. I mean, I've left here many times thinking, dear God, that sermon was in vain. It was terrible. Brother Clark gave me a copy of the first sermon I ever preached in this church back in 2004. I've been scared to listen to it. I thought all of those were burned. Uh, uh, but, but, but he's not just talking about one sermon. He's talking about every sermon, every Sunday school lesson, every song that this choir has sung. It's all in vain. It's all useless. Every sermon that John the Baptist preached, Dwight L. Moody preached, W.A. Criswell, Billy Graham, Adrian Rogers, all in vain if Christ is not risen from the dead. And then verse 14, just right down through the Scripture, if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is in vain. It won't do any good to have any faith. It's all in vain. What we need to do is contact the atheists and say, look guys, y'all were right. Y'all were right. There is no living God. If Christ is not risen, the atheists are the ones. We don't need to be getting on the cults. We are a cult. If we don't have the truth, we are the cult. And then verse 16, of, 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 verse 15 says we're all a bunch of liars. Every time you try to tell somebody we're false witnesses, you try to tell somebody about the love of Christ, you're just lying like a dog. You're a false witness. Then verse 16 and 17 tells us if Christ 
uh, if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You're yet in your sin. You know what that means? Let me sum it up for you. You're going to hell. Now, this would be a good time to say, well, if, if we're going to do that, we, maybe we ought to all go over and join the Pope and say there is no hell. Make us feel better about ourselves. If, if Christ is not risen, and then <laughs> that's not as bad as it gets. It gets worse. If Christ is not risen, all your loved ones, your moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles and children who've gone on before, they're not in heaven. They're in hell. If Christ is not risen, all those who've gone on before, their soul's in hell. Verse 19, he said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. Wow. But, I love verse 20. <laughs> I, I want to get off and preach my sermon. I have a sermon, how big is your butt? People get offended at it, but I want to tell you, you look in the Bible all of this is going down through here. Your faith is in vain. You're a bunch of liars. You're going to hell. Your family's all going to hell. You deserve pity. But Christ is risen. He is risen. He's not dead. If he's, if he's not, you have no hope. You have no life, no peace, no joy, no forgiveness, no future, no heaven, no eternity with God. All of that's gone. But now, Christ has been risen, raised from the dead. He got up visibly. More than 500 people saw him. And that's not at one time. I mean, 500 people. You, you, there, there's more than 500 people in here. If I gave you orders, now look, we're all going to claim that Jesus was here this morning. We saw him. He's all here this morning. Be half of you before dinner was over. That preacher's lying. We didn't see Jesus. That was a figment of my imagination. But these folks saw him. They stood. They died. They didn't read it in the Bible. They didn't hear it in Sunday school. They didn't watch it in a coloring book or, or a DVD. They saw him with their own eyes. <coughs> History shows us that many of these people lost their lives. Because they refused to deny Jesus. Because they saw him. And I want to tell you, you might find a guy every once in a while who might die uh, for a lie that he really thinks is the truth. But I, I challenge you to try to find somebody that would die for a lie when he knows it's a lie. These people gave up their life. He got up visibly. He got up vicariously. Verse 20. Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. I'm not afraid of that cemetery plot because when Jesus died, I died with him. I'm not afraid when Jesus was buried because when he was buried, I died with him. And that first Sunday morning when he got up, I got up with him too. And then, lastly, Jesus died victoriously. No, no, I mean, 
See, we, we don't like to see anybody suffer or anything, especially if it's your kids or somebody you love. You just don't want to see them suffer. But I want to tell you, folks, there is no getting around the fact that Jesus suffered and died on a cross. He suffered. But the truth is, as the old preacher, uh, I love E.V. Hill, that was Friday and Sunday's coming. He may have died on Friday, but he arose Sunday morning. And I, I love what he said. He said, go tell the disciples and Peter. <laughs> See, Peter was the last one that denied him. Peter would have been just like me and you. Well, I know Jesus is risen. I'm sure he is, but he don't want to see me because I denied him. I let him down. Go tell the disciples and Peter that I want to see him. Why do I believe that Christ died for my sins? Why do I believe that I have forgiveness of my sin if I repent and have faith in him? Why do I believe that every one of you this morning can have that same forgiveness and that same eternal life? Why do I believe that? The old songwriter, I think, said it best. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior. Vain, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. Vainly they watch his bed, Jesus my Savior. Vainly they seal the dead, Jesus my Lord. Death cannot keep its prey, Jesus my Savior. He tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. I've got hope in this life and in the life to come because up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. I've got hope. I've got peace. I've got joy. I've got victory. I've got purpose in my life because he came all the way down. He got all the way in. He went all the way up. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. It's not complicated. The Bible says it like this. He who hath the Son hath life. He who hath not the Son hath not life. It's not something you grow into. It's not something somebody prayed for you to have. It's personal. It's between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't think. I know we got a big crowd here, but we have this crowd every week. It don't bother anybody. That was a joke. I thought somebody in the <laughs> choir might laugh anyway. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that if the Lord is dealing with your heart right now, on Easter Sunday 2018, you swallow your pride, you get up, and you walk down. I, I can't do that. People are going to think, let me tell you, if there's any soul in this person, in this whole building that doesn't rejoice that you're going to be saved, they deserve to be thrown out of here. Your salvation is more important than what anybody thinks. Anybody. We're going to have an invitation. I'm going to offer you. Our staff's going to be here. And I'm going to offer you from the balcony down all the way on the floor, anywhere else. 
to come. You say, preacher, I don't even know what I'd do. Just say, come. I, I'm not, I know I'm not walking with God. Can you show me how to have a relationship with Jesus? Someone will counsel you. Now listen, if you want to join the Baptist church, that's great. I don't have any problem with that. But I'm really not worried about you joining a Baptist church. You see, these denomination tags are either going to fall off on the way up or they're going to burn off on the way down. Not going to do you a whole lot of good when you get to judgment. Not going to do you a whole lot of good. What's going to do you good is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what will atone for your sin. Father, thank you this morning for allowing us just to gather and worship you. Lord, I pray this morning there are souls in this place right now, dear God, that if they were to leave here and, and not be able to turn, come back, Lord, if, if they were killed on the way home, Lord, they would spend eternity separated from you. Please don't let that happen, dear God. It's not your will any perish, but all come to life. I know what your will is because you told me what it was. It's your will that every person here be saved today. Lord, would you let that happen in the lives of men, women, teenagers, children. There are others in this place. They used to have joy. Used to be peace, but the world has cluttered up everything and they're just kind of getting by. Oh God, would you bring them to their knees at this altar? May they confess whatever it is that's keeping them from going all the way with you and get it over with this morning and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. Maybe there's some here in this place this morning need a church home. Lord, would you show them if this is where you want them to be, then Lord, let them be obedient. If it's not, then God, help them find where you want them to be wherever that might be. We love you. <laughs> ah, we could never repay you for all you've done. But Lord, that doesn't mean we ought to stop trying. To my last breath, Lord, I want to praise your holy name. I want to lift up my hands and tell this world that you're alive and that you'll do the same thing for them that you did for this little old boy right here. Have your way right now. In Jesus' name I pray.